Well, this morning we are going to take one more break from the book of Romans, and uh, we will pick that up next week. And so uh, don't forget your Romans study journals next Sunday. We'll pick right back up. I think we're somewhere in chapter two, making, making good progress uh, through the book of Romans. And uh, I'll say a little more about that in a moment. But this morning I want to talk about renewal. And um, it's a new year, and uh, this is that time of year when we're un- inundated by mail in the mailbox and email in our inboxes and text messages and advertisements about all sorts of ways we should be renewed. Our bodies, right, should be renewed. So says Planet Fitness and 24-Hour Fitness and all the other fitness places. And maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe that would be good. Um, of course, there's other renewal things. We need renewal in our finances and in our tax issues. And, and as, a, as a country, um, there's a lot of talk of renewal also. That word may not be used, but we've got politicians on both sides of the aisle telling us that they're the one to renew America and make America great and do different things for America and... And we will hear that a lot this year. Kind of reminds me of four years ago. (laughs) Oh, I hope it's not like four years ago. In so many ways, Lord, please. Um, So many ways. Psalm 19, verse 7a, out of the Christian Standard Bible, says, it's on the screen, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The instruction, uh, or the law, we'll we'll look at this chapter in a moment. Another way to translate that word is the word law. Um, It can mean like the Mosaic law, um, but it, it more generally means instruction, which is why the Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. God's instructions for us. So we should think this whole book, not just the laws of Moses, not just the rules But God's word, it's perfect, and it renews one's life. And I believe, church, that we need renewal. Um, I don't know about your body. I don't know about your finances. I don't know about the politics, you know, in your world. But but I know our our souls need renewal. And God is good. He, He longs to renew us. And one of the chief ways he does it is through his word. And so I want to spend just a few minutes this morning, hopefully reminding you of what you know, uh, hopefully reminding you of things we, we talk about quite a bit as a church. If you're part of SOMA and you've been a part of SOMA for more than a year, um, you can usually count on me spending at least one message at the start of the year on God's word. Now we are committed to God's word. I mentioned the book of Romans. That's what we are going to be looking at in the Sunday's to come into 2024. Uh, We'll pause now and then. We want, of course, when it comes time for uh, Easter and the resurrection, look at that. And there will be other occasions to to leave Romans. But we want to just work our way through that instruction. Because I believe Romans is God's word and it's perfect and it renews our life. Even the song we sang a moment ago, Your Love Never Fails, that comes out of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It never fails. And that he does work all things in our lives for our good to those who love him and and who are called by his name. And that's in Romans 8. And we've already begun to see in Romans that that God 
makes righteous or justifies us freely. It's to be received, not anything we earn or do. It's not by going to church. It's not by giving a lot of money. Uh, It's by this this outside renewal that we simply respond to, and that's, that's renewing. So God's word from Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the history, the poetry, the apocalyptic literature, the commandments, the promises, it's all designed by God to renew us. And I want to just remind us of that today. I hope today's encouraging. I do hope it's challenging, maybe convicting. But we have an amazing God who's given us an amazing thing in the Bible, his self-revelation. So as a church, we have a statement of faith, and I want us to hear what we believe about the Bible. It's on the screen. We believe that God has spoken in the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, through the words of human authors, as the verbally inspired word of God. The Bible is without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for salvation and the ultimate authority by which every realm of human knowledge and endeavor should be judged. And then if you would join me in saying this last sentence together, therefore, it is to be believed in all that it teaches, obeyed in all that it requires, and trusted in all that it promises. St. Augustine, a famous Christian from a long time ago, he wrote that if you believe what you like in the Bible and reject what you don't like, it's not the Bible you believe but yourself. That's, that's a good word. If you believe what you like in the Bible and reject what you don't like, it's not the Bible that you believe but, but yourself. We want to be like what we just read together. We want to trust that what God has given us is in fact God's revelation, what God has spoken through human authors. Verbally inspired word means that that every word comes from God's mind. And again, he moved authors. Peter talks about that. He moved people in their setting, in their culture, their, uh, their context to write exactly what God wanted to be recorded for us, and he's preserved it for us. And oh, we could spend hours talking about um, just what God has done in, in, in history through his providential sovereign care to ensure that what we have is exactly what he wanted. But that statement summarizes well what we believe. And so let's be reminded of that this morning. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 19. So you've already heard Verse 1, and I'll read it again in a moment. Psalm 19. This is a psalm of David, and we're not going to look at the whole psalm. Uh, I wanted to say a brief word about the whole psalm. We're going to look just at a section in the middle. But this is a psalm of David, and in the first part, David talks about how creation speaks. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens Make much of God. Creation does. And then it's going to speak to that end in a poetic way. And then 
David shifts gears, which is where we will spend most of our time today, and look at how the scriptures speak as well. And they speak differently. Creation gives us a general revelation that God exists. And we've looked at that in Romans. We talked about that. No one is without excuse. If we just think long enough and are honest long enough, there's too much design and purpose in order to have this all just be an accident. There might have been a big bang at some point, but there had to be a big banger outside of that big bang to make the big bang happen. But let me read all of Psalm 19 and hear what David says. Again, this is poetry. I'm not going to sing it when we teach through the Psalms. I try to remind us that the Psalms are Hebrew poetry written to be sung and played. I'm not going to even try that, but it is poetic. There's parallelism and whatnot. But just hear the whole Psalm, again, creation speaking, and then hear the shift to God's word speaking, and then we'll spend a few minutes looking at that section on the scripture speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. And then just to pause here, David now gets explicit in what the response is. Notice everything has been implicit. The heavens declaring, the heavens creation speaking, it's meant to elicit praise. God's word speaking is meant to elicit our obedience, although it's, it's implicit there. But now he explicitly responds to this and it's repentance. Who can discern his or her errors? Declare me innocent from hidden fault. He's praying now. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's spend a few minutes together looking at verses 7 through 11, the scriptures speaking. Derek Kidner, a great Old Testament commentator, he notes that in these verses, 7 through 11, you have six facets or, or titles for God's revelation, for God's word. And while there's different words, they're, they're not meant to be a sharp distinction between all these words. It's very similar to what we find in Psalm 119, the great psalm about God's word. Again, using all these words that act in a parallel way, the the law, uh, the testimony, the precepts. So there is a nuance, but yet not not a sharp distinction, just different ways of noting uh, in poetic form, obviously, what is true about God's word. And what what I want to do is move through um, these verses, noting first the nouns, the different words that describe, uh, that are used for God's word, law, testimony, precepts, and so on. Then there's a shift over to the adjectives, uh, and then uh, the verbs. And, and so we'll, we'll take a look at that. And what I've done is put this on the screen for you. I hope it's not too small uh, for you. But there you have verses 7 through 9 that, that have these six facets about God's word. And again, we'll look at the different nouns for God's word, then the adjectives, and then these, these verbal truths uh, related to what, what God's word does. So the first thing David writes about God's revelation, about God's word, he, he uses the word law, which as I've already noted, um, can mean instruction. It can speak of, yes, the, the Mosaic law, but, but it's broader than that. It's much, much broader. It's a comprehensive term for God's revealed will. It's his instruction. And again, this whole book in one form, in many forms actually, is his instruction to his people. The second word there in verse 7b is, is the word testimony. Uh, next week, Calvin will give a testimony of what happened as he spent a week in Mexico. Uh, That's how we think of the word, kind of giving a report, right? A testimony. Uh, Here, in this context, it's the aspect of God's word as truth attested by God himself. Truth attested by God himself. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 16, it says this, and you shall put, this is Moses giving um, the instruction for, for, again, everything related to uh, the Ten Commandments and the tablets, all of that. <clears throat> he says, you shall put into the ark, the ark of the covenant, right? Think Indiana Jones, sort of. Uh, you shall put into the ark, not the law, not, not the, the precepts, not the commandments, but in Exodus 25, it says testimony. It's this Hebrew word. You shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. And that's referring to, again, it's just another word, a synonym for uh, God's word. But it, in its nuance, speaks of the aspect of God's word as truth attested by God. Then David says, precepts. And, and then the word following that there in verse uh, 8b, commandments. And again, this is poetry. It's kind of meant to be parallel in in the structure of this poem. So these two words are very similar. And these words, precept and commandment, indicate the precision 
and authority with which God addresses us. God's not vague on things that he wants us to know precisely. There are some things he's a bit more general on, but it's clear that precision and authority with which he addresses us. And we find it here. We find it here in this book. And then we have these next ones, the last two. And these are a bit unusual. I don't usually sit down and go, okay, God, I'm going to open the fear now and spend time with you. <laughs> but, but notice what, what David writes. He's, he's, again, using these words in, in rhythm and rhyme, parallel words, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. Notice Lord, God's covenant name is used a lot in this psalm. And then there's a switch, the fear of the Lord. And that's a bit unusual. Um, We don't often think of God's word as fear, but it's kind of like the command to fear God, the the fear of the Lord. We talk about this when I try to remind us when we come across this, it's not meant to be a, a terrifying, you know, horror movie kind of fear. It's a recognition of God's awesomeness. And and to fear God is to recognize he is God. And there's this, again, God is good. On the one hand, I mean, we're talking here about fearing him and and treating his word in this way. Uh, And that's that's one end of things. Um, God is closer than a brother to us. And he's our best friend and he's our father. And there is this familial, familiar intimacy we have. But it's not only that. And it's good for us to encounter a word like this from time to time and recognize, I need to fear God. He, he holds my life, and, and he's in charge. He's sovereign. He's God. I'm not. And so his word, his, his fear, the, the fear of the Lord, he, he writes, is clean. I love that contrast. I, I don't know. When I think about being afraid, see, I don't think about like being clean. Like when I think about being clean, I, I think about like having a real hot shower, like super steamy and like I've used half a bottle of shampoo and like just, it's comforting and like I'm all slicky. I don't know that's enough imagery for you, but right, it's comforting. Clean is comforting. Like, but, but this contrast, the fear of the Lord is clean. And we'll talk about that word in a minute when we get to the adjectives. But again, here the emphasis on the human response fostered by his word. And again, his word reminds us of things, that he is sovereign. God is in charge of everything, everything. There's no accidents. God didn't wake up this morning and say, oh my goodness, it's 35 degrees in Santa Rosa. I did, he didn't. (laughs) And that's awe-inspiring if we let it be. And so his word ought to be treated with this reverence. One Old Testament scholar says this, the fear of the Lord here is the one phrase that is not a familiar term for instruction. But it is well known from the instruction of wisdom literature. If you have spent time in Proverbs, it comes up quite a bit. A wise person has this fear, and, and, and it's, it's, it's used often in um, 
ancient wisdom literature, that's his point, this phrase is well known from the instruction of wisdom literature, which is related to instruction in law, since both law and wisdom impart God's will for his people. So this wouldn't have been unusual for those who heard David's song. A little bit unusual for us, and definitely not as common as the other terms, but a good term to remember. And then finally, at the end of verse 9 there, verse 9b, it says rules. Rules. Most, let's, just, let's have some fun. Raise your hand if you like rules. Okay. Raise your hand if you don't like rules. We like them when we like them. <laughs> yeah. Rules. Another way to translate this word is ordinance or, or decrees. Um, these are the judicial decisions that God has recorded about variety of human situations. And God's word does have rules. And so it's good for us to be honest. We like them when we like them. We, we don't like them when we don't like them. But, but God's word does have that. God's word is filled with promises. God's word is filled with hope and truth. But there are rules. There are rules for how life works best. And that's the key to remember. If you come across a rule and it kind of rubs you the wrong way, um, again, think back to Augustine's quote, right? Maybe, maybe it's not God's word you're struggling with, but you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a place. But, but try to think, what does this reveal about who God is? And, and what does this reveal, reveal about how life works best? And, and let me just say too, there's, there's work to do when, when we get to God's word. I, one of the things on my heart, and I haven't fleshed out yet what this will look like, it might take the form of some Sunday night theology classes later this year, but uh, I want to equip us to um, interpret our Bible well. And, and that's a, uh, the fancy word is called hermeneutics, okay? But it's this truth that we, we can't just open our Bible and say, well, what does this verse mean to me? We, we can apply it to ourselves, but we have to understand that it means something. There's objective meaning that we have to do some work sometimes to get that meaning, and then we apply it to ourselves. It means what it means. The application of it can be different, and, and um, that can be tricky. Sometimes it can be tricky. What, what in the Old Testament, for example, applies to us, and, and what doesn't, and, and so forth. So anyway, keep your eye out for something like that. So these are six different synonyms, David under the leading of the Holy Spirit, penned about God's word, his law, his testimony, his precepts, his commandment, his fear, and and the rules of the Lord. Now let's move to the adjectives there, kind of the middle uh, column of of sorts. What what do we learn about God's word um, as we see these different words? The first is the word perfect. God's word is perfect. That's something we should say again and again and again. It's, it's perfect. It, again, it's a description of God's will. In, in Romans 12, uh, chapter 2, 
uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 in, in the New Testament, and we're a long way in our study in Romans from getting to Romans 12, but listen to this verse. It'll be familiar to some of you. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's very, uh, it's very much a New Testament parallel verse to this, this verse as well, as, as well. God's word um, renews and um, it renews our mind, our thinking, and it's perfect. So that's one adjectival statement. The second thing uh, in the middle, God's word, his testimony is sure. Now, sure is a good word as well. This, this table is fairly sure. <laughs> so in a passive form, it can mean something that's, that's firm, right? But actually here, it has to do more with the idea of something being verified or confirmed. It's sure. It's, it's confirmed. It's, it's verified. Genesis chapter 42, verse 20, in the context of Joseph being in Egypt and his brothers coming because of the famine and all of that, that story, if you're familiar Um, It says this, bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified. Same Hebrew word. So your words will be sure, confirmed. God's word is is sure, it's confirmed, it's verified. It's been tested. Any objection people write about, blog about, tweet about, TikTok about, whatever, that all of a sudden puts that truth in question that you can't trust this, it's it's been dealt with. There are answers. There are smart, smart people who have wrestled through those truths. I was just talking recently to someone about C.S. Lewis and his great classic book, Mere Christianity. I mean, that book is getting close to being 100 years old. I mean, not quite, but it's almost, and it's still relevant to speak to how what we believe it, we, can, we can be certain of it. It's, and God's word itself is confirmed and verified. Then we have the word right, God's word. And, and here the author says precepts, but it's, it's his word, it's his law, it's instruction, it's his truth. All of it is, is right, morally right. And again, um, we live in a world that calls straight things crooked and things that are crooked. Our world wants to say these are right and straight and we, we have to say, what does you say, God? What does your word say about reality? This book speaks about what is right and pure and clean. Pure and clean. God's word is all of that. Free from stain, free from defect, Free from impurity, it's, it's pure. I've recently been double filtering my water with my Brita. I won't bore you with the reason why, you can ask me later. But boy, is that time consuming. To fill the Brita, let it do its thing, 
put it into a pitcher, go back and refill and wait to have a drink of water. But all because it's the most pure way, supposedly, for certain reasons that I need it to be. God's word is completely pure. I don't have to wait around for double filtering with God's word. It's clean. And it's finally true. True. Dependable. And then we have the verbal ideas, right? It revives, it makes wise, it rejoices, it enlightens, it endures, and it's righteous altogether. Let's, let's talk briefly about these, and then we'll conclude. The first four in the list there, they all enlarge upon what Scripture does for us. Just look on the screen. God's Word revives us, our souls. God's Word makes the simple, wise, it rejoices our heart, and then it enlightens our eyes. But then the final two speak about what God's word is of itself. It endures forever. The scriptures say that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And God's word is righteous altogether. The first word there, revives. That's where we get the, the series title, Renewal. Another way to say this word is, is renewal. A very familiar psalm, chapter 23, verse 3. David, in that psalm, says, God, you restore my soul. You, you renew my soul. You revive my soul. God's word makes wise. In James, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, every hour, about something, go to YouTube, right? <laughs> maybe for some things, maybe for fixing your sink or repairing something, but if you lack wisdom and deeper things, James says to ask God who gives generously. And I think the application of that verse which has a meaning, pray and ask God. Part of that is to say, God, I need wisdom. Now let me seek your word. Do you address anything related to what I'm needing wisdom for? God's word makes wise. And this word simple, uh, again, this is used in the Proverbs quite uh, a lot. In the scriptures, in the poetic sections, um, this refers to the inexperienced. That's how the Christian Standard Bible translates this word. Uh, it's a person who's not firmly committed um, either to wisdom or to foolishness, all right? It's someone who's easily misled. When the, the writer says his trouble is that uh, he or she does not apply himself or herself to the discipline needed to gain and grow in wisdom. Oh, that's convicting. I'm simple, way too much. But God's word makes wise. God's word rejoices the heart. And heart, remember, isn't just our emotions. The heart in the Bible is the, the seat of, of, our, of our will and emotions and, and all of it, our thoughts. It's the core of us. God's word rejoices us. It enlightens our eyes. For the eyes to have light or to be bright is, for the, is to be alert and active, right? We, we need to see how to navigate things. The older I get, Man, I'm one of those people now. I don't like driving at night. 
And when it's darker, I'm always grabbing for these, or I can't even admit it, but I grab my phone and I turn that flashlight on to read a receipt in a restaurant. I need light, I need to see, and God's word enlightens. And then again, the remaining two speak of what God's word is in itself. It endures and it is righteous. Simple enough, these these three verses. And then let me just read the final verses in this section of the psalm at verse 10. More to be desired are they, and I think that's, again, inclusive of all of God's word, all of these ideas about God's word. More to be desired is God's word, we could say, summarizing, restating, than gold, than, than riches. Oh, and we want, we want money. We want to know we've got enough for the future. We've got enough to pay the bills. But David says, no, your word is more to be desired. And in fact, your word is sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Or for those of us that love chocolate, more to be desired than a good, fresh chocolate chip muffin like we'll have in a few minutes. God's word. By your word, verse 11, your servant is warned. In keeping your word, there is great reward. Four thoughts I want to leave us with as we conclude and prepare for the Lord's Supper quickly. Number one, I think from this passage, but from other passages, we could say God's word is astounding. It really is. And the longer you walk with the Lord and the longer you spend time in it, I think you would give a hearty amen to that. Anyone? God's word is astounding. And if you don't see that, it's okay. But ask God to change your heart. Ask God to get you out of uh, his word. I don't know. I don't uh, Help me see what some of these people are saying amen to. Ask God. Ask him to change your heart. Second, God's word is not just a book about God, although it is that. God's word is God speaking. You gotta see that. That's, that's what we believe about this book. It is God speaking. It is God's self-revelation. Number three, God's word is not just a collection of random books, 66 books covering two testaments, right? All of that. It's one story. And that makes sense from the previous point. If if God's word is God speaking, if there's one author that governed all the human authors, right? If he did this whole thing, then it would make sense that this, this collection of two testaments and all these books over all these years by all these authors would be telling one story. And it, and it does. And it takes some understanding that and seeing that. Uh, hopefully at Soma, we remind one another of that again and again. Um, but every story whispers Jesus' name, as Sally Lloyd-Jones says. It's all pointing toward Jesus, what we've just finished celebrating. And then finally, number four, God's word is to be gripped. And you might be saying, huh? I've shown this slide many times, and I want to just put it up there again. This challenge, and especially again, it's a new year. Um, and it's a good time to consider these things, but to get a grip on God's word. And this is just a way of thinking about 
uh, six different things we do with God's word. We, we hear it. We hear it by coming to a worship service like this. Hopefully, those of us that stand up here teach God's word, and that's one way you hear it. Um, there's amazing apps these days. That's what I do every morning on my walk. I listen, and I hear God's word, and you can do that um, as well. We need to hear God's word. We need to read it. Uh, we need to read it um, for intimacy, like I mentioned briefly last week. That's where we study and go deeper, but also just for familiarity. And I'll come back to that point in a second. Kind of a you know, surface reading. There's a place just to read the whole thing, to be able to say, you've read the Bible or, or heard it. That's, that's what I do. I hear the whole Bible through a year in the mornings. And then study to to, to get a Bible with a concordance in the back. Some of you don't know what that is, um, or you do, to, to um, get into a Bible study with others, to, to, to dive deep and to understand arguments and logical progressions of thought and, and, and what authors meant, um, and, and to study. There's a place for that, to memorize, to, to have it in, in our souls. I was thinking just this week, once again, about Jesus, who again is our savior. He's the one who saved us and, and now we follow. That's what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus. Um, and, and he modeled things for us, including his memory of God's word. He, he knew it. So when he was tempted, he had God's word there to respond to the enemy with truth from God's word. Do, do you and I have God's word memorized so we're ready? One of the ways we memorize is by meditating on the little little finger on the screen. And to meditate is not the same as Eastern meditation in our world where you empty your mind, but biblical meditation is to fill your mind, to think on and and chew on and, and ponder. And even to the word often speaks of actually murmuring. There's an audible context to it, to, to say it and to restate it. And then, of course, at the core, at the palm, we are to apply. Do it. As James says, not just be hearers, but doers of God's word. And so there, again, is in the back, uh, this tool that I use. It's what I listen to um, on Monday through Friday. It works for me. And I get through the whole Bible in a year. The Old Testament um, is set up in its the way it's structured, chronological, which is cool when you get to some of the history parts, all of a sudden uh, the different psalms that David wrote are inserted there and um, the chronicles and kings are organized chronologically um, and you get through the gospels and the psalms and it's just one guide. I have those sheets back there if you're interested, but there's so many plans, so many ways for you to have renewal in your life this year. And listen, don't, don't say, oh, well, you know, it's already January 7. I missed a week. Just start reading if you pick up a plan on day 7. Like, it's okay to be obsessive, but don't be obsessive about that. Just, unless you got like six hours, fine, but just start. Just start. Start something. Let God's word renew your mind. And that'll, I think, lead to what David concludes with in this psalm. Let me now jump to verse 14. Again, what I read already. In response to your word, in, in what it is and what it does, let the words of our mouth, let the meditations of our heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And if we're being renewed by God's word, that that verse will be a truth we, we can say. And God will keep his word to do just that. I'm going to pray in a moment, and we are then going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, You're going to hear Gio in a moment read a lot of scripture this morning. And I want you just to to hear, even as that graphic said, you're going to get to, in a moment here, hear God's word and receive it as that, God's word, setting up this remembrance that we're about to partake of together. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for how astounding your word is. And I pray our belief in that um, and our trust in your word and our desire to let it renew us would grow in 2024. Um, do, Do the work in our souls that we need you to do so that we pursue you pursue your word. May it not be uh, out of guilt and and out of duty, but out of delight to, to hear from you and to grow closer to you. Because again, Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, God, are pleasures forevermore. And I pray we would find that to be true from your word. In Jesus' name.